You're listening to Business Casual, a podcast about making dollars and cents Aha. in commercial real estate. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Tim, the commercial guy, Churchwell, and I'm here with Rob Symbiante, my associate uh, out of Florida. And last session, we talked about the different types of uh, commercial real estate. We talked about user versus investment. We talked about lending a lot. And Rob kind of started talking about a new thing going on in student housing that he's looking at. So I can't wait to hear this. So it's kind of like student housing. Uh, It's not really student housing. As we know that there is a massive, massive affordable housing crisis in America. That's kind of like almost anywhere, honestly. It's not just America. And there's this new platform that came out that slightly resembles student housing. It's called PadSplit. PadSplit is a platform kind of like Airbnb, which is able to place people in a room for a certain weekly rate. And I know it sounds wild at first, but but hear me out. Essentially, student housing, you put people on a year lease and they stay in one room, or you have four people who are going to lease together rooms individually for a certain room rate. This is room rate per week. One person has to be single, no pets allowed, and pre-qualified. And they have to use the platform, and they are going to be subjugated to the criticism of the platform. When I say that, is that, okay, what happens if I get a bad tenant in there? Or what happens if people are going to be arguing and fighting because they don't know each other and they're in this big house, right? They have peer reviews. So let's say Tim and I are in a house and I don't like how Tim left the kitchen. I can go on my platform and provide evidence of whatever it is and put in a note saying, hey, Tim has been loud. He's been doing this. He's been doing that. And just like your Uber score, your score will drop. And if it drops to a certain threshold, you're kicked off the platform. So this is Airbnb. I mean. Airbnb does that as well, similar as far as the reviews. You can go rent a room with Airbnb. But they're not affordable and they don't necessarily have restrictions. These, you have to be single. You are not allowed to, you're not allowed to bring guests. You are not allowed to have a pet. You have to have a three-to-one income ratio of the weekly rent. So, wh- So what type of people are renting these rooms? I mean... Uh, well, if you have income and everything else, it's not the transitory crowd. I mean, what type – is this like traveling nurses or something like that? It's actually not at all, which is what I find so funny. And like the company knows it as well, so they actually provide all these analytics for you. For example, Tampa. The average weekly rate is $200 a room. If you add a desk, it's 205 And if you have a suite, it's 250 That's their average rates. Their average demographic is 35-year-old. Half of the people who do utilize this – don't have an actual form of transportation so they have to you are required to be a certain distance away i think it's a quarter mile from your public transport along with this the average stay has been five months in tampa because these people don't have anywhere else to go that's the thing if you're doing 200 dollars a week in a place like this a studio in tampa right now is about 1300 bucks no people who can't afford that need to be able to utilize this if they don't have roommates. And uh, I think it's a great option for them. And I think it's a great option to milk, milk your cash flows. So 
it's a roommate. I mean, literally, it's a roommate situation. Yep. Everyone has wireless uh, uh, padlock doors in which you are able to change the code whenever you want when somebody leaves and et cetera, et cetera. You need to have security cameras in all the common spaces. Uh, you have security cameras outside. They have they have signs in which you need to place on the fridge and you need to place in the dishwasher so that there's no discrepancy on how things are to be used. Uh, I, I started out with student housing and I did the same thing because I had people that didn't know each other. And I actually used to, I could probably pull it up. I used to make those signs and I used to put them on the fridge and put them on the dishwasher because there was always discrepancies. So, That's For example, yeah. I, there's there's people that are doing it in the single family space, which I think will be eventually transferable to the uh, multifamily that you're able to get a way higher rate. And then if you're able to turn, this is going to be a little bit in the gray area, but what people will do is you have a four bedroom, two bath, or let's say I have a six bedroom, five bath in Norfolk. There's so much space in there. It's three and a half thousand square feet. There's so much room to add more walls. Mm -hmm. You're able to add demisable walls into a commercial space or into your residential space and milk the space for what it's worth. So if you have a multifamily property that has these large three twos that you can convert into five twos with demisable walls, because you might need to take them down upon appraisal time, hint, hint, because there's no comps uh, on, on those size uh, rooms, you're now able to go from a three two, which was around $1,500 a month. Now you have five bedrooms, two baths, and that's going to be $1,000 a week. So now you're able to get $4,000 off the same space that you're able to do the the uh, the 1500 That's where you kind of milk your money. And their, and their rate isn't even that high. Their rate's 15%. What? And that's an excluding all the fees. My, yeah. I still, I'm still going back to, it's almost like, hey, I'm homeless and I need some place to stay. And I get that. I'm trying to figure out who, but if they're homeless, they're not, yeah. They don't have income and everything. They're not going to qualify. So, yeah, so exactly. So I'm trying to figure out who that roommate, quote unquote, is. What's the demographics? I mean, now I know they're 35, but why are they doing this? Well, some people don't necessarily go into careers. They work as a cashier or you're a, you're a barista. You're someone who's not earning over $30,000 a year. More than likely, you're not going to qualify for anything over $800. And unfortunately, for the majority of cities in America, rent has gone to $1,000, period. End of story. Yeah, but you also said that the de uh, that you have to have three times income of the, of the rate. So, so the rate's $250 a month, I mean a week, that's, that's $1,000 that, 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 a month. That's, that's if you have a suite. A oh, look at it. Well, still $200. Also, Tampa here is uh, around 1300 1400 so that's So that's a going right here. If you went to Houston, it might be something different. You go to L.A., it's definitely something different. Yeah. Um, it just depends on where you're at. But I'm just trying to get an idea here. So, if, so if the rate's $200 a week, for instance. That means you've got to make at least $600 a week. Yeah. In income. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's $2,400 a month. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you're getting up. I mean, where your income about thirty thousand a year. Yeah, and if you're making three times that, what? Yeah, 
Is it credit score based at all? Yeah, yeah, you have the minimum credit score. I think it's a uh, six fifty or six forty. So these are so these are the same people that could rent an apartment then. They are the same people that can rent an apartment but can't afford them anymore because mm-hmm. rate because rents are skyrocketing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. So they can't get the whole apartment, so they get a piece of it. All right. Now I get it. Average occupancy is, uh, I think, in Tampa here it was 88 uh, last month. <clears throat> the month month before that, they had like a 92. So it it kind of fluctuates between your 85 and, and okay. 95. So it's actually not too bad. Okay. Um, so I, see, I see that. Um, get to know your roommates and go out and rent your own apartment <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, would, that would make more sense. But yeah. now people will just sit Especially on since you're not locked into a long-term lease, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah. like getting people out, it's pretty quick. Uh, they, the tenant has to pay a mandatory $150 cleaning fee and they are required to show proof that they cleaned the unit before they left. Cool. Um, the only thing that you need to have in there is a bed. They do recommend that you have a nightstand mm-hmm. and that's it. Wow. They did. The bed doesn't have to have, the bed has to have a protective covering over it. doesn't have to have any sheets or any, uh, covering. So they have to have, well, display their own. Interesting. And it has to have a, it has to have a window. I'm going to have to look more into that and wrap my head around that a little bit more. You know, I, I still have this whole fantasy of buying a boat and Airbnb and the boat out, and then I get to use a boat and have it paid for, too. So. I think that would be phenomenal. I wish that pa- uh, slips weren't so expensive here. I, would, I, would yeah. just, I almost I, almost, I put an offer in on a place, a uh, five-bedroom um, or five-studio that had three uh, slips in the back that were able to fit, like, 45 of boats, and I was like, too expensive. Yeah. Well, you also have to make sure that the marina will allow it, allow uh, for you to rent that out, as far as now, as, far as I, uh, people, Airbnb in it. So if I own the house, I even have to, like, I have to ask whoever owns the waters, or how's that work? Oh, you're talking about if you own a house that has a slip in it? Yeah, I was gonna buy five units. It was like one structure, and in the back they had three boat slips. Uh, uh, well, one thing, one caveat on that. Remember, we downsized to a condo on the water. They came with a forty-foot boat slip. Yeah. And I had this whole fantasy initially of, oh, hey, you know, until I get my boat, I can rent that slip out. And it came out that, and I believe this is actually a maritime law, and not it's not the condo association. You cannot rent out that slip uh, to somebody that does not live within a thousand feet of that slip. Now, my understanding, they put that in place because otherwise it becomes a marina. Yeah, that would make sense. And so, in other words, it turns into a commercial space with a lot of different rules that go with that. And so I was very disappointed by that. <laughs> I was looking to yeah, make some extra income with my boat slip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I would have debunked that. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, obviously, out there to make money. Uh, yeah, and that's another thing. Keep your eyes open for opportunity all the time and have discussions, you know, going back and forth with people. The Well, talking about more broadly on the multifamily market, you know, uh, are you still, are you currently looking at a project down there? Yeah, we got a couple that we're looking at. A few friends of mine, we got uh, nothing too big. Someone kind of uh, might need help on an 80 unit that they're going under on. So that's that's a much bigger project, especially for Florida. Uh, that would, I would need to bring in a little bit more capital. Mm-hmm. But we got a 12 unit that we're under contract. Just got to uh, renegotiate again because 
they lied about the age of the roof. So uh, you gotta do that. But that that's actually pretty cool. We're coming in at uh, about 58 a door. And then uh, after all renovations are done, probably going to be around 80 a door. What's your entry and cap top, rate on that? Uh, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I, I haven't even seen that. I haven't even seen the full numbers yet. But um, it is, uh, it, uh, comps in that area are selling for about 125 a door. Yeah. So you do have a decent cushion. So again, on the multifamily, <clears throat> again, you know, do your research. But let's talk about something real quick. He's talking about so much a door. Now, we do use that a lot, but more in reference to things. What is most important, this is any type, I don't care if you're buying a single family, if you're buying a business, any type of investment property, it boils down to what's the cash flows off of that, whether it's now or future cash flows. That's why we usually talk in terms of cap rate. What's your, you know, what type of cap rate are you looking at on this? And the cap rate, basically, you boil it down to your net operating income, so you're not putting your capex expenditures and stuff in there. What's your annual? You know, what can you expect to just from net operating income as a return? And that, and then that, and divide that by the price, and that gives you the cap rate. Now that's uh, cap, cap, cap rates can be deceiving. I I like cap rates, <laughs> and I do utilize cap rates. They're just they're deceiving depending on whose definition of cap rate. Because some broker is going to be saying. Hey, 100% occupancy pro forma. Someone's going to say, hey, 100 occupancy right now. For for example, I could say that I'm buying a property at a two cap, but it's 70% vacant. Yeah. Well, let's, it's still going to be a great deal at the end of the day. Well, let's go into the C, and CCIM is trying to standardize that. So you go in, and, and I always do two analysis when I'm looking at a property. I look at it as is, where it is now. I also look at it on that pro forma basis. What if it was fully leased up? You know, subtract out your vacancy. I don't, I don't you know, basically you're making these assumptions. And that, so you look at it and go, hmm, all right. And that, and keep in mind, the cap rate is, only tells you, is this worth doing further analysis on? So if it's heavily vacant, of course, the existing cap rate is going to be horrible. Or if it's a value-added opportunity. And you look at both, and your offer actually, you know, usually we make our offers based on whichever one, you know, is lower uh, as far as yeah. the price on the property. And, and we justify by saying, look, here's the cap rate. So you do both, and you look at that. But the, if the fallacy of the cap rate is that, it, for the most part, it only looks at the first-year expected rate of return. So it doesn't look at features such as, well, it's got a lot of deferred maintenance. What if we, you know, what if we put some capital improvements in here? What if we stabilize the rents? What if we actually fill those vacant spots? So you have to look at that as well. And, and then you're also looking at it over a time period hold. So we'll do things such as, um, well, a lot of times you'll hear, what, what type of yield are you looking for? You know, what discount rate are you using for your analysis? Which is the same thing, basically, is the yield uh, but we'll use them, you know, the internal rate of return. There's all these other things that we do, but those take a lot more time to analyze. So the cap mm-hmm. rate is more of a discussion. Like, am I really? Do I really want to waste my time or my client's time looking at this property? You'll hear a lot mm-hmm. of brokers, at a, especially as you do larger deals on investment properties. You know, we'll say, hey, what's your what's your asking cap rate? 
know, if they come and say, hey, look, this is a Class B property, da 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 da, and they tell me the cap rate's two percent in our market, where the going cap rate's seven percent, I'm like, well, obviously your seller doesn't understand pricing, <laughs> yeah, and mm-hmm. you know the proper value that that property. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at it. And Rob, you and I had this talk. We we, when we you always first, have this debate. When you first came aboard, you'd spend hours analyzing properties. I'm like, hold well, on now. Okay, okay. <laughs> there was a specific reason for that, and that was to develop broker relations. Because you go to a broker and you don't know anything about their deal when you communicate them, it's going to look bad. But I want to revisit the debate on cap rates because <laughs> that's why I, I don't use the price per door as like, is it a good deal or a bad deal? However, if I know that those doors are trading at 120 and there's a 50k spread in there i'm gonna look at that oh well yeah obviously if it's a one cap i'm i'm looking at it yeah because Uh, because of those other factors that come in mm -hmm. but ultimately as an investor and again it could be a business it could be a house everything's going to be predicated on your value as far as cash flows right the sum Mm -hmm. of some of all your future cash flows and that's how you derive a value. So, yeah, but you're doing it. You're just saying – you're just opening the doors. You're saying, well, obviously, there's something going on here that's worth looking at and exploring. Exactly. That's and the what fastest you can get to that point, the more deals you're going to be able to look at. Yeah, and it takes unless you're Unless you're trying to, I don't know, make friends with whoever that person mm-hmm. who has that listing is, once you hit that – you number of like hey like this doesn't hit my criteria that's it game over stop yeah. looking at the deal yeah unless it's like hey tim's got 20 deals and i know that a lot of them are usually really great but this one is the only one i could really put an offer on or really entertain at my level i don't care if it's a bad deal i'm gonna i'm gonna analyze it i'm gonna present some good questions i'm gonna present some good feedback and i'm going to build a relationship with that broker off of it. That's one thing that I would suggest for anyone. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that. And folks, you know, I've worked with Rob both as a client and then working with me as an associate. And I can tell you, so he's talking about the price per door, but I can also tell you that, trust me, he runs those other numbers too. He just uses the price per door because he really knows his market as an example to catch his attention. For instance, I, I can bet you that, let's say the going rate's $125,000 a door, and somebody comes and says, hey, you really need to look at this deal. Yes, it's $150,000 a door. You know, and Rob's like, well, why are you so interested? But he's going to look at the cash flows. He's going, oh, well, you know, this is waterfront property. You're, you know, with large rooms, and your rental rates are a whole lot higher. They, you know, it demands mm-hmm. a higher rental rate. So I can, yeah. So Rob does do all that underwriting. Well, folks, we're going to wrap this one up. Just to rehash, we talked about. Well, Rob gave us like some really interesting things as far as renting out rooms. Actually, you know, we've talked a lot about multifamily and also some basic analysis on it. I do want to say one thing going back to the rental rooms, though. Know, this is also important, know your market, check with your city. A lot of municipalities have rules, zoning restrictions against how many people that are not related can occupy a property. 
I know our market has a lot of the cities around here have that. I know a lot of cities elsewhere in which I've done business have that. So I want to caution you to do that. You do not want to get in trouble with the municipality, <laughs> you know, with the law on that type of stuff. So we discussed all that. On the next one, we'll start moving over and talking about office space. All right. Uh, and also, just as a tip, check out renting out rooms. I know I am. The Business Casual Podcast is recorded in the Hurrah Studio and edited by Mark Harlan. Thank you.